0: Good morning, my name is Rod, Uh, my pronouns are he and him, and uh, yeah, I just want to welcome you this morning as well, thanks to um, Josh and Stu and Antonia, and thanks to Annika for notices, and thanks to Warwick, you know, the people on the sound desk are always the forgotten heroes of all communities, I see Antonia nodding her head. Bit of an AV tech herself. Um, uh, Also, as Annika said, it's NADOC week this week, the last day of NADOC week. So I just want to acknowledge that as well. And we will finish with a a blessing from Brooke Prentice. We are uh, in the middle of a series within a series. We are looking at a, a long series on the way of Jesus as a wisdom tradition. And within that series, we are doing a mini break series on, well, we started looking at the Beatitudes, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus' first sermon. And today we're going to move on to uh, the Abba Prayer, also known as the Lord's Prayer, which is in the next chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. We're actually going to do two weeks on... Um, the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to, um, yeah. yeah, trigger warning, <laughs> Lord's Prayer, um, but we're going to do two weeks kind of following the same pattern that we've been following the whole way, and that is sort of looking at the way Jesus takes the tradition that He inherits and both continues it and turns it on its head, um, I think it can be very... There's a a dangerous strand of anti-Semitism in church history which sees the Christian story as a complete discontinuity from the Jewish story, that there was this corrupted Jewish story and then Jesus came along and told this completely different story about a completely different God. Um, And that's a very dangerous lie um, because Jesus... Is as much in continuity with Jewish tradition as in discontinuity. And to the extent that he does shift and change and disrupt, um, he's still in a very rich prophetic Jewish tradition because that's what all the prophets did. They saw corruption they saw misuse of power, they saw the oppression of the orphan and the widow of the outcast, they saw the mistreatment of foreigners, and they cried out on behalf of God um, against that. Um, So, Jesus is very much in that tradition. And as we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, as we look at the Beatitudes, as we look at the Abba prayer, it's, it's all in that rich tradition of overturning and disrupting and challenging the comfortable, popular understanding of who God is on the side of. So, we saw in the Beatitudes, as Tamsin said, uh, Jesus saying, God is on the side of exactly the people that you think God is not on the side of, not the rich and powerful, but those on the margins. The last two weeks, um, Annika and Shane introduced us to the idea of Um, Trans Jesus, the idea of uh, Jesus who disrupts in the area of gender, but not just in the area of gender. A Jesus who disrupts all the fixed dichotomies and binaries that we have that separate us from each other and that force people into small um, and strongly policed categories. And today, I, I guess I want to use the same kind of lens to look at the Lord's Prayer. Um, The Abba Prayer is probably what we would call it. Um, And in uh, a song that we will sing next week, we call it the kind of motherly father, fatherly mother prayer um, to, again, challenge that gendered language for God that we see um, in kind of traditional understandings of this prayer, traditional renderings of this prayer. Uh, so, So, that's the plan. So, today... What I thought we would do is um, just have a look at this prayer and have like little two phases of looking at it. Um, So, the the first thing I want us to do is to look at this prayer in its traditional form, in the traditional way that a lot of us would have grown up um, saying it. I was just talking to Diana who grew up in a Catholic context, I grew up in an Anglican context, so people that grew up in that kind of context. We said this prayer every week at church and this is... The form in which we said it. Um, So, the first pair of questions I want us to ask as we look at this prayer, and I'll just read it in a second, is what makes it hard, what might make it hard to pray this prayer for us? One of the things that might make it hard to pray is that we prayed it week in and week out growing up and it just became empty of meaning through repetition. Um, what might even make it hard for us to read this prayer, yeah? Uh, So, I'm just going to read it and then I'm going to hand over to you just to see what thoughts do you have, what makes this prayer in this form difficult to pray, difficult to read. This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So, it's Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Um, so, any thoughts, just as you, as you encounter it, perhaps for the first time in a while, um, what is it about, what might be things in this prayer that make it hard for us to pray, hard for us to connect with God through this formulation? Obviously, from the last two weeks, referring to God as Father might be one of those things.
1: It, it's not quite a direct answer, but my brain keeps saying, oh, you got the version that says, forgive us our debts. I got the version that was, forgive us our sins. It's like, oh, debts? That feels quite different. So I'm still, my brain's still clicking on that.
0: Yeah, excellent pickup. And, yeah, that question of sin versus debt... Is an interesting one in the way this is being understood and interpreted. So we'll come back to that. Yeah, but yeah, well spotted.
1: Um, kind of similarly, there's like a word in every line that I get stuck on, like theologically. But I also need the like, like kingdom. I'm like, oh, but I want to reframe that and think about it in a particular way. And then, but then you know, we're all like further down the prayer already, and I've missed the rest. And I'm like, oh, well, forgive us our debts. Like, I want to interrogate that. So it's both I get stuck on redefining what it means to be able to pray it, but then I also need that to be able to pray it.
0: Makes me think of this news story I saw the other day where it was like these athletics championships and this country didn't want to be disqualified, so they got the the shot putter to do the hurdles. <laughs> so watching... Her trying to negotiate the hurdles is that reminds me of how you encounter this prayer. It's like, oh, everyone's finished, and I'm still trying to get over that first word. Yeah, that's <laughs> right, but I can throw really far. My event's coming up, don't worry, it's not my prayer. Anything else?
1: I have to say, I just noticed it now, really. And lead us not into temptation. Um, I, I never thought of God as being someone who you could say, you've led me into temptation. So the implication in saying that is that it's God that leads us into temptation, not McDonald's and not, you know, I mean, really.
0: Yeah, that's right. God made me do it. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Anything else before we move on to phase two, Antonia?
1: Um, I think for those that grew up with church and saying this a lot, just the repetition of it makes it lose its meaning. Um, and the, like, monotonous, kind of toneless way of looking at it, the, the actual words don't... Or I don't know if that's true for everyone, but um, I think that that can make that hard for this prayer to actually be meaningful, even if you hold it in a gracious light.
0: It's funny that, yeah, just words that you grow up with, how you don't even interrogate them. I remember learning Spanish and realising that Julio Iglesias means July churches and going, and Placido Domingo means Quiet Sunday, and going, that's so weird. Like, why would someone be called that? And then you go back to your own language and go, there's people called Church Hill like, what's with that? Yeah, Joan Rivers. Rivers? Why, you know, you know, so that thing of the names that you grow up with, the language that you grow up with, it's just, yeah, it, especially if, if you encounter it very young, you just, yeah, you don't question it and then you encounter it elsewhere and suddenly you go, wow, that's really strange. Another hand. Oh, Nat. My peripheral vision isn't that good.
2: Um,
1: I was thinking about this the other day, actually, Um, not to change the tone, (laughs) it's actually quite dark to end it like that. Um, And it demonstrates that evil's so primal. There's a primality to it and it's not like, get me out of this, it's like, deliver me, I'm completely vulnerable to, like, evil's more powerful than me. But God's more powerful than evil, but anyway.
0: Yeah, thanks Nat. And it is, yeah, it's yeah, the the Again, take it out of any kind of context. This word becomes these words become formulaic and then then you look at them again and you go, wow, that is, yeah, that's really heavy language. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh, you had something, Matt? No? Just scratching, cool. Um So next week is we're gonna focus on and we're going to use this prayer as a case study to to think how do we redeem, reimagine, reengage with this particular prayer so it has life in it. Um, for today, I just want to um, just get us to start that process, start thinking about it, um, and we'll do some activities and practices next week. To yeah to literally put this into practice, but um I, yeah, just interested before we do that together, whether you as individuals have had any experience of redeeming this prayer in some way or encountering it in a different way, um, bringing new life to it, making it something that and how might we together make it something that we can pray together um, I'm happy for these just to be seeds that are planted that we can look at next week, but I'm also interested to see if anyone has any initial thoughts. I recalled that there's a concept, I don't know how widespread it was, There was a concept of using, of this as a framework for how we should pray, and so step one is to, you know, worship God, and step two is to ask that God's will is done, and step three is to recognise our need, really just
2: using it as a structure, which I found stripped any life out
0: of it and and just felt like it really made it um, routine and, and so prescriptive. Um, and then I think at some point my reaction to things like this is to kind of
3: just look at what jumps out to me at the time. And so I think every time, you know, you come to something like this, some of the songs we sing are the same where a different thing will just resonate depending on what's
2: happening. And so almost to just flip that completely and ignore the idea of it
0: being holistic and just look for any little moment in it. Yeah. I mean, in a way, you put your finger on what is, you know, the ultimate challenge with um, formulaic prayers and rituals of any kind. You know, how do you have ritual and structure and yet it remain fresh? I mean, it's, it's like the eternal challenge for religious traditions, and that's where that Jewish notion of traditioning, (laughs) like an activity of traditioning rather than um, fixed convention, is, doesn't make it easy, but yeah, like just somehow to, how do we keep refreshing the tradition so we're still staying in the same tradition, we're still drawing on the same kind of resources and history, but keeping it. Refreshed and alive, yeah, it's, it's a hard one.
2: Hello. <laughs> um, last year I re learnt it in Te Reo Mori and found that, um, yeah, it kind of took away the emptiness of the repetition in English, where you have to, in a second language, um, really dwell on each word. Mm. Um yeah it was really powerful.
0: Yeah. Have you still got it? I don't remember. I'm not
2: going
0: <laughs> to. <laughs> maybe next time. Yeah, beautiful bring along next week. Yeah. Um Yeah, I I've done that I've done that too and it there's something really wonderful about um yeah, learning things in a different language if you've got another one or um yeah.
2: Oh, perfect follow-on from that. I was going to say, sometimes reading, like, those, the words in that translation are pretty old-fashioned and I find that hard, and to bring new life to it, I think it's nice to read a different translation, a modern one, because sometimes that makes... It hits home a bit more, whereas we're reading this really old... Who speaks... Who says, hello, be your name? And all those kind of old language words that we don't use. It's not as, yeah, real. It hits home a bit more when you have a different language for it.
0: Yeah, it reminds me that I, I thought God's name was Harold for a long time because because of this. Um.
3: I wish it was. I hope, I hope it is. Harold. <laughs> Harold. Uh, I, I always find it helpful just to think about the original listeners of this stuff, um, of the Lord's Prayer and just especially things like give us today our daily bread for people who were like subsistence farmers being overtaxed and thinking about what it might feel like to be dependent like the sense of um, their history feeling like God has provided for them but now they're yet again in a really precarious place and what it might be like to pray that when you are talking about actual daily bread like yeah I think that in some ways that's helped me kind of re-engage with it yeah.
2: I'm not here now, next week, so. <laughs> um, <coughs> there's some English swear words, but they're actually not swear words in today's Māori, so <laughs> disclaimer. E tō māto mātoua i tapu tō ingoa, kia taimai tō rangatiratanga, kia mea tea tōi pai ai, ki a i te whenua, kia re te ano ki tō te rangi. Homai kiamato Aine aenei e tarouma Murua o hara me mātou hoki e muru nei. E te hunga e hara ana kia mātou. Oa hoki mātou e kāwea kia whakawaea. Engari, whakaorangia mātou e te kino. Nō hoki te rangitiretanga, te kaha me te ake, ake ake Amine.
0: Beautiful, thank you. And the powerful connection between those two things is how transformative it is to not see it as a prayer of the coloniser, but a prayer of the colonised. Yeah. Was there someone over here that had their hand up? Yeah.
1: So I grew up in a Presbyterian church where we tended to examine every word of the text and and mine it for meaning. And like, like Stuart, I was taught to use the Lord's Prayer as a structure. But lately, um, I've just come at it from the other direction because I've been exploring contemplative prayer and listening to um, Jim Finley, um, his podcast on the mystics. And at the end of each of his talks about a mystic, he'll like lead a contemplative prayer and then end with the Lord's prayer. And it is very much like a ritual. It's just something that's just chant almost chanted. Yeah. And it has a completely different feel to me. Like it's just what isn't after I've just been sitting in silence for a while and then the words are so familiar and I they just I just chant them in there and then it's what's happening inside me that matters more than the meaning of particular word so it's yeah just different angle
0: in that kind of beautiful sense of maybe the spirit praying through you and and that engage, yeah just recognizing that different parts of your brain and different parts of you different parts of you are engaged yeah i as I, i think i mentioned before i i re i wrote my own version of the lord's prayer as a song and i Um, I sing it at home all the time and sometimes I've started singing it with the girls when they're going to bed and it's it's a similar kind of thing where, you know, there's one way of engaging with things that have got tired is to, you know, interrogate them and reinterpret them and all of that and another is, yeah, just to sit with them very differently Um, and, you know, I guess one of the things I want us to take away from today and which we'll look at next week is just a much more expansive notion of what can count as prayer. Um, If you grew up with, I guess, a model of God where God was um, an attention-craving narcissist, then of course God needs you to be praying words to God um, in this very self-conscious way to fill up his attention cup. Um, But if... Your vision of God is very different. If your vision of God is a midwife, if your vision of God is. Um, I mean, the, the theologian Catherine Keller talks about uh, the idea of a God that cares much more about the way you engage with others and with the earth than whether you're thinking about God. Uh, something so liberating about suddenly going, God, prayer is not to meet some craving of God's, but prayer is about encounter and it can look very different and it doesn't necessarily even need to be something where you're thinking about God. Um, So that, yeah, that is one way that our sense of what prayer is expanding can be quite liberating and releasing um, and take away the anxiety and the shame um, and the guilt that so often Characterizes our wrestling with prayer, especially if we've grown up doing it a lot um, out of res- a sense of responsibility, and then we've let go of it. And there's part of us that feels like we need to get, we need to get back to it, need to get back to prayer, need to get back to prayer, um, and re- releasing ourselves from that sense of guilt and obligation, and recognizing that we can be kind to ourselves, and that God is kind, and that God's desire is not for us to feel those negative emotions around prayer. Um, We're almost done, um, but were there any last comments that people wanted to share before I share one or two more short ones and we finish up?
3: Josh? Um, I really like that idea of thinking about the different ways we see the divine and and thinking of prayer as a way of um, honouring that. And uh, the line that has always clicked for me more than others is the give us today our daily bread and for me my understanding of God and the divine is like through and in all things and I think food and the sharing of food is such a beautiful way that I feel and see that and so that idea of giving us today our daily bread is like it's such a universal way of feeling the spirit and divine amongst people. Um, and so, yeah, that's always been one that I've really connected to and I like that idea of it's almost honouring the divine in the food, the everyday things that we consume all the time. Um, so I like that idea. Thank you.
0: So just just before we move to communion, um, I wrote things down as five dot points, so I guess I should read them. Um, yeah, so as I said, I think... Uh, and we'll we'll look at this more t- next week. But to reengage with prayer, to reengage with this prayer, um, guilt, and you know, strength of will are not the answer. It has to be forms of imagination, uh, new new forms of habit. Um, so, just five quick things. Uh, I think one thing that's really important to tr- to transform our experience of prayer is what we've been doing through this series and that is trying to introduce new metaphors for god new images of god um yeah the the one i came across this week was um god as midwife i thought that was a really beautiful and generative one because there's something about um parental images of god beautiful as they are that um can create a very strong orientation to god like looking to God all the time, versus the idea of a m- God as midwife, who's trying to um, birth things in every moment around us, and isn't necessarily the star of the show, um, but is all about facilitating new life. Um, and again, as we will explore next week, <laughs> none of these trump any of the others. It's not about um, oh, we found the right one. As we talked about this with trans-Jesus, it's not like um, a non-binary God. All right, we, we don't need any more metaphors. We've worked it out. Um, it's all about this um, community of metaphors that together are um, the... I was going to say Rabbi Lawrence Krauss, but he's one of the new atheists, so it can't be Lawrence Krauss. Um, but, uh, yeah, Rabbi talked about Scripture as a, as a jewel with many facets, and I think... Um, God is a, ju- a jewel with many facets. Um, so the second thing is, as we've said, just a, a new vision of what prayer is. So many of us grew up with it, as, as we've talked about before, like some kind of individualistic vending machine, um, rather than conspiring with God to bring in a commonwealth of justice and love, um, where, as Shane said, everyone has enough to eat, And no one is trapped in debts that they can never repay." That's why I think the word debt is just so much more generative than the word sin, uh, because for us, in our culture, sin makes us focus on our own individual shame, whereas debt makes us look at systems of injustice, which I think is what Jesus had much more in mind. number 3 just yeah, new practices of prayer and we'll we'll explore some of them next week uh and cultivating these practices as regular habits not driven by fear or guilt but just by uh, a sense of trust that they will bear fruit in our lives if we're able to um maintain them just like any form of of exercise um they can be hard to cultivate and it takes time for them to bear fruit. And again, as long as they're not driven by some kind of guilty, self-punishing mindset, uh, habits can be beautifully generative of new life, but they have to be held carefully. And I guess that's where, if we cultivate habits collectively, it's much more likely to be healthy. Um, And it may well be that you're in a place in your life where you go, I I do not have the bandwidth to be cultivating habits of prayer right now. All I really have the bandwidth to do is to come along on the occasional Sunday and maybe participate in communion as my current habit of prayer. And that's okay. It's about being very gentle with yourself and with each other and recognising that we're all in different places with this. Um, And, yeah, just being kind uh, wow, my phone goes off way too quickly. Um, last thing, and we've already talked about this, so just very briefly, expanding our sense of what prayer is. Um, again, as I said, if if God is not an attention-craving deity, um, but a midwife of new life, then yeah, prayer can look like all sorts of things, and God's name doesn't necessarily need to be part of an act of prayer. Um, so as I say, it's all a way of setting us up for next week, um, trying to dig into different options for the way that we might um, think of this prayer, uh, the way we might do it, all the time recognising that this is just a model for a very expansive sense of what prayer might look like and what place it might occupy in our lives. Um, And I think... Yeah, it's it's funny, I I recognise in myself that so often when I'm speaking, I kind of cultivate this quite serious um, persona um, with my little deep soporific voice. And in my real life, I'm actually quite a playful (laughs) and ridiculous person. And yeah, so I just want to advocate for playfulness when it comes to prayer uh, as well. If God is who I believe God to be, then... Um, God just wants us to cultivate a sense of of connection in life, Um, however that works for us. And if we are to learn anything from children, um, play is often the best and easiest and most enjoyable way to form connection. So, it's just a little advertisement for play in your prayer practice. Um, Let's have communion. Yeah, and let's just celebrate the beauty of practices like this that can allow us, without having to put in, you know, massive effort in terms of individual discipline, they can allow us just to participate together in a repeated practice of lifting our gaze from the everyday of Encountering a depth dimension to in a world which tends to flatten things out, um, and to, I guess, as as Josh was saying, to to recognise that it's often in the very simple things of bread and wine and eating together, and showing hospitality that we encounter um, God. Let's pray. Loving God, motherly father, fatherly mother, holy midwife, we recognise that for some here it is next to impossible to to talk to you, next to impossible to imagine re-engaging with prayer and I thank you that. We are a community where we can um, have faith for each other. We can pray when others cannot pray. We can carry each other and be carried. I thank you for the way that Jesus modelled that. And we thank you as we um, celebrate Jesus through this bread and this wine and pray that we might continue to be a community that wrestles with what it is to follow Jesus and what it is to embrace the wisdom path that he showed us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's eat and drink. Um, and We're going to finish with a a blessing by Brooke Prentice, a blessing for Nadoc week. Um, and it's just over on the screen, over some artwork by Safina Stewart, who also works for Common Grace. So I'm just gonna read it now. May our footsteps on these ancient lands remind us of creation and connectedness in our search for truth. May the gum tree from its roots to its branches remind us to dig deep and reach high in our action for justice. May the eagle who soars in the sky remind us of the power in our call for love. May the expanse of the lands and seas, of the sky and stars, remind us of God's timing in our faith, in hope. May the holy three Creator a spirit, Lord God, Papa Jesus, remind us of community. So with grace, mercy and peace, go in truth, justice, love and hope. Amen. Mm-hmm. Thanks, everyone.